Well, good morning, church family. Hi, so I get the joy of giving the message this morning, but before I get started, I want to make sure to introduce myself, just on the chance that I haven't gotten to interact with you and meet you yet. My name is Emma Keffler. My husband Jarrett and I both work here. We've lived here in Sheridan for about a year and a half now. We're expecting our first baby in February, and oh, thank you, and it is so wonderful to be with you. So my position here at the church is the Spiritual Development and Connections Coordinator. It's quite the title, but really what it means is that I get to focus on spiritual disciplines in the church, particularly prayer. So the torchlight workshops, like that's one of the dearest things that I get to work on during my time here at the church. And so because I treasure this position and because I treasure this community, I just want to tell you how much of a joy it is and a delight it is to get to stand in front of you and share the word of God together. It means the world to me. Okay, so I would love to lay the framework of where we're headed in the word today. We've been in the book of Isaiah for a month now, and we started in chapter six when Isaiah is called and we get this first picture of the throne room of God, where he is right now. Then we moved on to chapter 9. We learned about struggling hopefully, not hopelessly, because of the presence of God in every hard thing. We learned about God's intention to do a new thing, how he was promising that he was just going to blow everyone away, that all the expectations in the world could never compare to what he was going to do through Jesus. And so we talked about him last week in chapter 53 as Christ the suffering servant was painted in this beautiful prophecy that, and he fulfilled every single one of those prophecies in chapter 53. So today, we get to wrap up our time in this book by stepping into Isaiah 58. And I have to be honest with you about something. Like the chance to prepare this message, the chance to get to talk about this passage in particular, has really overwhelmed me as we've led up to today. And the reason for that is because there are very few passages in the Word that God has used more to direct me and to shape me, like who he's calling me to be, where he's calling me to go, what he's calling me to do. God is using this passage in my life right now. And I'm convinced he's going to keep on using this passage in my life until the second I get to meet him face to face. So, I want to preface this message by saying this. Not only because of my own experience with Isaiah and seeing what God can do through it, but because of the trustworthiness of Scripture. This chapter, this passage, is designed to bring us closer to the heart of God. And it does it really, really well. So let's enter into Isaiah 58 with that expectation then, just anticipating what God has to say and welcoming him to speak. Sound good? Okay, so let's dive right in. Please do turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. This whole passage is known as the true fasting chapter, and we're going to be focusing on the center portion of it, verses 6 through 12. I so wish we could go through all 14. This is a big chunk of scripture but just settle into it with me, if you would. This is the living and breathing word of God, designed to transform and convict and encourage us. 
So verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a stream whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And those are only six verses, church. So diving into those verses could take us a really long time, but I'm trusting that God has something specific for us to zero in on today. So let's go back to the beginning of the passage. God is the one speaking in this portion of scripture, and he starts off in chapter, or sorry, in verse six, by giving this big question. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Now at this point, it would be most helpful for us to go to the foot of God and say, yes, <laughs> hello, Lord, what is fasting? Because if he is directly telling the Israelites, I have chosen a fast for you, and I'm needing you to observe it, we got to be on the same page as him. So let's look at the whole of scripture. Fasting is mentioned over 50 different times throughout the Bible. And it's mostly described as abstaining from food for a specific period of time for a very spiritual purpose. Fasting is a time where we recognize that we need God even more than our bodies need food. That critical, vital, life-sustaining need. It hones us in on him. In scripture, God's people fast when they're mourning, when they're discerning what God wants from them, when they're in danger, when they're wanting to hear his voice. Fasting is always attached to prayer and intentional conversation with God in the word. It's precious. Fasting from food is a powerful form of worship and of honoring the Lord. But here's the thing, though. Like, just before God asks this huge question, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? He describes in verses 1 through 5 how Israel is particularly good at fasting from food, technically. Like, how they're excellent at seeming like they want to draw near to God and know his ways. How they're amazing at keeping up appearances of religious routine, but how at the same time as they're worshiping and fasting, they're exploiting the people who work for them. And they're doing what they please. 
and they're violent against the people who take them off. And they still go to God and they say, why don't you like my fasting? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And God's response to them is in verse 5. He says this, Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Or we could paraphrase, like, what do you think you are doing? Hearing that tone in God's voice, like that holy anger, it just makes my stomach turn. Like, can you imagine being one of the people listening to Isaiah the prophet get up and say, yes, hello, this is the word of the Lord for you. Is that what you call fasting? Like, can you imagine hearing those words? This is a big deal. The people of Israel had forgotten something extremely important. Prayer and fasting does not align God with our will so we can act like we want. It aligns us with his will so we act how he wants us to. And Israel was not living like that was true. It's sort of like if somebody ordered a meal from a restaurant and the waiter brings out something that's plated just beautifully, like has all the appearances of a perfect meal, but it's not anything like what the person ordered. And worse than that, the person is actually deathly allergic to that wrong dish that they brought out. Like, it's the opposite of what the person person was asking for, right? It's not at all what they required. And it's a big deal when that person is God and the Israelites are trying to give him something that he hates, all while saying, this is what you asked for, right? I'm fasting from food. This is what you wanted. Here's why that's such a big deal. It's because of who God is. That's why it's such a big deal to give him something he doesn't want. Like, all throughout Isaiah, he reminds Israel and us in, like, the most powerful terms imaginable. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole book of Isaiah, that only he is God. He says it over and over again in so many different ways. Like, he is the only one who calls the stars out one by one every night and knows them by name. He's the only one who raises up kings and who brings them down. He's the only one with authority for that. He's the only one who can save. He's the only creator. He's the only redeemer. Like, he's God, and there is none other. So when he says, the way that you're fasting, it's wrong, like, his opinion is the only one that matters. When he says, listen, though, this is the sort of fasting and worship that I am asking for. Every eye's on him. When he says that, everyone says, like, what comes next? Okay, what kind of fasting does he really want from his people? This matters. This changes the way that we live. Like, what is he asking for? And here he goes, verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them 
and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So, there's something a little bit bigger than not eating a few meals on God's mind here. This is a new thing. God is doing a new thing. He's asking Israel to completely rewrite their priorities as they worship him. He asks them to fast from themselves, not food, not just food. He commands Israel to stop being the ones oppressing and wounding people and to start being the ones serving them, to be radically generous to them. He tells them to be people who bring freedom, who share their belongings freely, and who care deeply for those in trouble. And what happens if Israel starts fasting like God actually wants them to? Look at verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord himself will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Like, do you feel the power of that? The power of those promises? And God continues. Verse 9 through 10. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. God's going even further now. He tells Israel, don't just stop oppressing and mistreating and ignoring people. Be completely done with dishonoring them in any way. He tells them to stop blaming and stop gossiping. That must have been going on. And to start spending themselves on other people instead. Other translations, like the ESV, it says, pour yourselves out on behalf of the hungry. And more promises accompany that invitation. Look at verses 11 through 12, the very end of our section here. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Guys, God is describing a life full of himself. If Israel listens and fasts, like God is asking them to, he's not just going to bless them. He's going to fill them so much that their lives just overflow and bless everyone around them. Notice the super uncomfortable if in that scenario, though, that always makes me a little antsy whenever I read this passage. All these beautiful promises are hinging on Israel's obedience to listen and to practice the kind of worship God is asking for. And that's the core of this passage. God looking his people in the face and directly telling them, hey, if you do away, if you get rid of 
religious routine that doesn't transform you and carry my Redeemer's heart into the world instead, I am going to overwhelm you with how much I accomplish through you. That is Isaiah 58. Doesn't that make you feel like you sort of need to take a deep breath and recenter just for a second? There's so much there, so many promises, so many commands, and it's all within those six verses. My goodness. And you know what makes it even better? Like God's heart for the lowly and the oppressed and the hurt, it isn't new at all. Isaiah 58 does not exist in a vacuum. Like all throughout the Old Testament, God identifies himself over and over as the defender of the widows, the father of the fatherless, the protector of the helpless. It's how he chooses to identify himself. And something unfathomable about him is that he does not change. So, looking into the New Testament from Isaiah 58, we run headfirst again into the God who's asking for true fasting. Let's look at Matthew 9, 12 through 13, where we see that God's desires are still the same. So in Matthew 9, Jesus has just called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, to be a part of his core. And he goes to Matthew's house and sits down to have supper with a surprising group of people. And the religious elites, they see that, they follow him in, they're disgusted, and they start talking to Jesus' disciples, and they say, why is your master eating with tax collectors? and sinners. Jesus stands up and addresses them personally, which I love. And he says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Like, do you hear it? That same theme? Like, let's listen one more time. God in the flesh says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is referencing Hosea 6.6 and summarizing all of Isaiah 58 at the exact same time. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, not just sacrifice. He desires mercy, not just forms of worship that seem most comfortable for us. He desires mercy, not fasting that doesn't align hearts closer with his. But he desires mercy, not routines that don't change us. His desires are still the same, Old Testament to new. And his desires are supposed to become my desires. Our desires. So can you see why Isaiah 58 has just wrecked me and reshaped me as a person? Like, as I was writing this message, every other sentence, I would start to cry. Just thinking about how God has used every single one of these verses that we just read together. To humble me and to teach me, especially over the past five years of my walk with Jesus. And God has especially 
broken and remade my heart over his heart for freedom for the captives. Like his longing to break chains. Like he is about rescuing the trapped and interrupting rhythms of suffering. And it makes me think about human trafficking specifically. That was my focus in college. And thinking about how the God of Isaiah 58 wants to just destroy that industry. And how he empowers us as his people to intervene in his name. Like, his heart of mercy is so powerful. His heart of justice is so powerful. And what is overwhelming is that he would have me carry his mercy into the world around me, this heavy, weighty, powerful mercy. He would have me, he would transform me that much into his likeness. Like, what? And after seeing his faithfulness, church, I am completely convinced he wants to transform us that much. We, we are called to be Isaiah 58 people. He can mold us into the people whose light breaks out like the dawn and whose righteousness quickly appears. Like he can make us people who rebuild brokenness and restore shattered places and spaces. He transforms us into people who trust and know and rest in his provision and his presence. He gives us the ability to do the work of breaking chains and seeing captives freed. He can do that. And more than that, if we're reading this, he's telling us to let him. So now's the perfect time to acknowledge something important that's flared up in my mind every single time I've learned from this. We can't become Isaiah 58 people without the help of God. Like We can't be people of mercy without him. We are humans. We're sinful, right? And I'm weak, personally. Like, I don't have the patience. I don't have the endurance or the stamina or the strength to continually spend myself for others out of love for God. Like, I require God's help for that. I need him to obey that. Without him, I can't obey what he's asking of me in Isaiah. But Peter speaks about this in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, and I would really love to read that passage now. So here it is. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built into a people who offer the kind of spiritual sacrifices God wants through Jesus, like mercy, like true fasting. Like Jesus is doing the building. It's him. We just get to come to him and ask him to put us where he needs us. So here's my question. Are we interested in taking these words and letting them transform us? 
Because there are so many ways God can do that. There are so many ways God can meet us in the secret place, teaching us about Isaiah 58, where it's just us and him. And I'm praying that he does meet us individually and privately about how he is asking, telling us to carry Isaiah 58 into the world as chain breakers and rebuilders and restorers and servants. But communally, how do we take a step towards obeying the scripture? Like, what's a community-wide first step that we can tap into? Well, after prayer and process, we believe that God's provided a pretty simple, straightforward way. Because one of the core themes of God's commands in Isaiah 58 is sharing, right? Like giving of ourselves. And do you guys remember Pastor Gretchen's sermon a couple of months ago when she took us to Romans 12? And she said, like she quoted the passage, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. You guys remember that? That passage carries the exact same heart of God that Isaiah 58 does. Need looks a thousand different ways. Need can be disconnectedness and loneliness and lack of community. That is need. Those things are need. And the God-given remedy for that is the sharing of Isaiah and the hospitality of Romans. We've been equipped by God to meet a need and the hearts of those surrounding us simply by sharing ourselves. But I've got to be truthful, though. I do have to be honest about this. Sharing ourselves breaks us clean out of our cultural comfort zone. Like, America's culture is not super comfortable with hospitality. It's learnable, right? But it's not natural. I think we just need to decide together that that's okay. It's okay when we're stretched and we feel like choosing God's desires doesn't come naturally to us every time. If we're going to grow, though, we've got to do it together. We've got to be intentional about it. So, together, let's quickly walk through what this entry into Isaiah 58, hospitality, can look like for us. Okay? So first, we can grow by deciding to share our lives with each other. Like, think about Jesus' life, the way that he demonstrated mercy and servanthood, even as the king of kings was about to redeem the whole world. He still shared his life. He let 12 disciples who constantly asked questions follow him all over Israel. He cooked meals with them. Like, he listened to them. He told stories with them. He walked an enormous number of miles with them. He shared his life to the full. So, let's cook meals together. Let's go on walks together. Let's open up each other's homes to each other. Let's do hard work together and share when things are hard, when we're struggling. Let's share the good and the bad and show the world that we are Jesus's, that he is real through our unity. 
in John 17. Like it says, let's share life. And if sharing life spurs us on deeper into true fasting, then something else pretty naturally follows. Like sharing our belongings is pointed out in Isaiah, in Romans, and all over the Bible as something that identifies us as people who are fasting, worshiping, like God asks us to. Like he can craft us into people who delight in sharing our stuff. Giving a loaf of bread we just made. Giving something from the garden we grew. Sharing a cup of tea with someone. It can be as simple as simple can be. But giving of our belongings in simple ways ushers us closer to the heart of God and helps us carry his promises in a real and true way. So sharing life, sharing belongings, and lastly, sharing space can help us lean into hospitality and carrying the mercy of God. And sharing space is just simply focusing on the one you're with, like setting aside distraction as much as you humanly can making room in our hearts to listen to someone and to actually hear them and to not care if the conversation doesn't come back around to us before we go. Sharing space is giving our undivided care and attention to someone without any other ambition or agenda other than representing Jesus to them sharing life, sharing belonging, sharing space, trusting the promises of God that flood our lives when we do. That's the beginning of finding God in hospitality, this simple step towards Isaiah 58. So here's the game plan. If you want to dive deeper into sharing ourselves I want to invite you to an opportunity called the hospitality gatherings. Like generosity and hospitality are by definition things that we shouldn't have to learn alone. So we as a church are going to be offering four gatherings or workshops on how to carry God's mercy through hospitality. Like depending on how many people are interested, we'll just be meeting in me and Jarrett's home. No one will be assuming to know everything about the way that hospitality needs to look. What we will be doing, however, is sitting down at the feet of Jesus and learning from him together about this very important thing that's so obviously near his heart. So if you're interested in joining us, please do stop by the Connect Center. There's a little hospitality sheet out there. You can put down your name and your number, and I'll reach out to you, and I can give you more info on what's going on. Because this is just one way to put legs to Isaiah 58 and put it into practice. So I'd love to invite the worship team back up for one more song, please. This week, let's just not rush. Let's decide together to not rush past today's passage. We are called to be Isaiah 58 people fasting from self-centeredness and choosing God's desires. And do you remember from the beginning when we said that biblical fasting is always connected to prayer? That's still true. So as we're learning what true fasting looks like in our lives in all of its forms, let's not let a moment slip by 
without prayer. And you know, we started this series on Isaiah with this prayer, like the here I am, Lord, send me, Isaiah's call, right? It seems really fitting to end with the exact same one. But to our families and to our communities and to a desperate and hurting world, Lord Jesus, here we are. Send us. Send us. Let's end with God's promise over his Isaiah 58 people. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Let's stand and sing.